All right, well, thank you very much to the worship team. Uh, thank you to uh, uh, Maria for leading us so well this morning. And I want to give a shout out as well to Pastor Peter, uh, who does a lot of the work behind the scenes, obviously with those videos and, and just all of the media that we uh, have enjoyed uh, during this time of lockdown. Um, and just our whole staff has just worked really hard, but uh, his gift has definitely benefited us very much. And so a big shout out to him. As Maria said, uh, we are in the third week of our series, Pray. Uh, Pastor Peter and Pastor Jonathan have already started the, the series well for us. And so if you haven't watched those sermons, I would encourage you to go and watch them. They're on our YouTube channel. And we are looking at this question uh, today. And it's going to be uh, important for us to wrestle with it. And we really want to understand what it is that prayer is. And so we're going to dig into that in a little bit. But uh, if you've been with us for a while um, on the online services, you know that our theme for 2021 is uh, at his feet. And what we mean with that is that we want to find ourselves at Christ's feet. We want to find ourselves before Jesus, but not only when we are in a time of crisis, not only when life is difficult, uh, not only when there's tragedy. We want to find ourselves at his feet, uh, worshiping him, celebrating what he's done in our lives and just loving him through all the through every situation and I think sometimes when it comes to you know um, coming before Jesus we picture it more as a time only when we are in crisis when things kind of are hopeless then we end up before Jesus and so we really want to focus this year on making that something that we do in every stage of our lives and so prayer is an important part of this journey um, prayer is needed for us to bring ourselves before the feet of Jesus. And so we need to then ask ourselves this simple question. What is prayer? Think about it. What is prayer? Now, I think most of us would assume that this is a basic question, that the answer to this question is, is pretty simple. But right where you are... Um, how would you answer that question? If you, in your circle right now, wherever you are, in the group of people that you're with, your family, maybe you're by yourself, I don't know, try to answer the question right now. How would you answer the question, what is prayer? Now, I wish I could give you a few minutes to talk, because that's kind of what it requires, but, but we don't have that kind of time. But just in your head, how would you answer the question, what is prayer? Now, I think it's important for us to come up with a good answer to this question, because However we answer that question is going to determine how we view prayer. It's going to impact our way of praying. It's going to impact when we pray. It's going to impact our view of prayer, obviously. And so my guess is, and I'm going to make an assumption here, and I know that can be dangerous, but my, my assumption is this, that most of us would have said something like this to the question. We would say that prayer is talking to God. Now, the reason I assume that is because that is the most common answer to the question. So I want to just suggest to us this morning that that is a form of praying, just like worship and singing and, and, and those kind of things are a way of praying. We can sing, or, or sorry, we can, we can pray by reading scripture. We can pray by singing songs. We can pray in many different forms. So speaking, speaking to God is a form of praying, but I'm not sure it's the best way to define what prayer is. Now let me just point out a few problems if we say prayer is only talking to God or that's the best definition. Here are some of the problems with that. It implies, first off, that prayer is just us talking. Well, what about listening? What about 
being silent before God. It also implies that it's all kind of one directional. It's all us to God. We are the center of attention. We are the focus. All the emphasis is also put on our words. Well, what if we're not good with words? What if we don't have words? Sometimes in our situations in life, we may not have words to express or to say what we want God to hear. So if prayer is only speaking to God, well then what happens then? It can also become more about us and less about God, where we become so focused on having fancy words, we can become so focused on, on sounding good in how we speak, that all of a sudden it's actually more about us than it is about God. These are just some of the concerns that there would be if we would define prayer as speaking to God. It's a form of praying, it's a way of praying, but I think we need to dig a little deeper to answer the question, what is prayer? Prayer is much more, obviously, than just talking to God. And before we dig into answering the question, we want to take a few minutes and look at biblical theology of prayer. What does the Bible teach us about prayer? So let's look at, let's look at just three of them today. One of the things that it suggests is that, or that the Bible teaches us about prayer is that we have access to God. That we have access to God. Through prayer, we have access to God. Because Jesus entered into our separation. If you remember this, when we sinned, there was a separation between man and God. Jesus entered into that separation. He absorbed that separation and he eliminated it. So through Jesus, we now have access to God. And so when we pray, we are able to have direct contact, direct access to God. We read in Mark chapter 15, verse 38. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is a verse that beautifully um, shows us or it gives us this image of when Jesus died, that curtain that divided you know, people from God, the Holy of Holies, that curtain was now torn in two. In other words, now there was direct access to God. We see, a sim we see similar language used in Mark chapter 1, verse 10. After Jesus was baptized, it says that when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Here, this image of the, the sky being torn open is a beautiful picture of the Father saying, I am present with my Son. And God says, I am pleased with him. This is my son. So the sky was torn open to show the connection between the father and the son. I don't think it takes much imagination then to see the parallel between Mark chapter 1 and 10 and Mark chapter 15 verse 38. God would tear open. God, would, God tore away anything that would keep us separated from him. And so through prayer, we have access to God. We have assistance. God the Son and God the Spirit are both referred to as advocates. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 11 and John chapter 14 verse 16, we see that God has sent the Holy Spirit. God has sent um, Jesus as an advocate for us. We are not left on this earth to our own you know, um, way of struggling through life. We, we have assistance. God assists us in our lives. Jesus intercedes for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who intercedes. Who is interceding for us. 
In Romans 8 verse 26, we see that the Holy Spirit actually prays for us. And so we have assistance from God. Through prayer, we have assistance. We can call on God and he will assist us in life. Through prayer, we have assurance. We are told over and over by Jesus that the Father knows us and loves us. And that we can know the Father through Jesus. He welcomes us and is eager to be with us. This is so beautifully betrayed uh, or portrayed through the prodigal son. The story of the, the parable of the prodigal son. Where the son finally comes to his senses and he goes back to the father. And he's like, I'll go back and just be his slave. And, and when the father sees him coming, the father runs to the son. Embraces him. Welcomes him back. So in scripture and through prayer, we have this assurance that, that God loves us and that we can be his. God is faithful. God is generous. Luke chapter 11 verse 13 we read, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants to give us all that we need to live an abundant life. So that is a very quick, very, very quick biblical view of prayer. We could, we could spend a lot more time on that. But it builds a foundation for us to understand what prayer is. So looking at these, we see that pr through prayer we have access, we have assurance, we have assistance. And I wonder if I would now go back and say, so what is prayer? I wonder if maybe knowing this or, or hearing this has now maybe changed your thinking already a little bit to say, hmm, maybe prayer is a little bit more than what I initially thought. Maybe through prayer we, we have greater, you know, um, power than we may have thought before. And so let's look, let's dig in a little bit more and ask ourselves again, what is prayer? I think there's one verse there are many verses in the Bible that talk about it, but I think there's, for me anyway, there's one verse that I think beautifully describes or gives a beautiful image, clue, I'm not sure what word I want to use here, but let's go with image, this beautiful image of what prayer is. And that's found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 20. Look at what it says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That to me is this beautiful picture, this beautiful image of what prayer is. As author named O. Halsby says, to pray is to let Jesus into your heart. To pray is to let Jesus into your heart. To pray is to invite Jesus into your life. I'm not talking here, and he's not talking here, about inviting Jesus into your heart as far as salvation. But to pray is to invite Jesus into every area of your life. And what I love about this passage and what it teaches us is that we do not pray, or we do not initiate this. Jesus is the one who is knocking. He is the one who is moving us to pray. Our prayers don't move Jesus. Jesus is knocking on the door and saying, would you open up? Would you let me in? Would you pray? Would you speak with me? Would you engage with me? Would you invite me in? I love that image of, of prayer being us opening our hearts to Jesus to come in and to minister to us. To pray is to give Jesus permission to employ his power to ease our distress. 
To pray is to let Jesus glorify his name in the midst of our needs. To pray is, the, is to open the door unto Jesus. And here is the beauty of that statement. This requires no strength. This requires no fancy words. This requires no title. In our weakness, in our need, in our moment of life when it seems like everything is maybe going wrong, we can open the door to Jesus. We can pray and he will dwell within us. I know many people who have convinced themselves that they don't know how to pray. And they'll say it. They'll come right out and say, I don't know how to pray. Because I think the reason is because they have this false understanding of what prayer is. They may think that prayer is somehow dependent on them. That it's all about their words. It's all about what they can do. That Jesus somehow cares about the words that they can speak. Prayer is so much more than the words that we can say. Prayer is placing our focus on Jesus. In Numbers chapter 21, we read about how the people of Israel, and you know their story, they were constantly, they would sin, they would repent, they would sin. This was an ongoing thing that they had, did. And so here again, they lived in sin. And so God sent these poisonous snakes into their camp. And the people would, you know, get bit, and then they would die. And so, of course, when that happens, when tragedy happens... People tend to turn to God, and so that's what the people of Israel did. They turned to God, and they, or they, they went and they cried out before God, and God told Moses, I want you to erect a bronze snake. I want you to put it on a pole, and all the people need to do is when they've been bit by a snake, they need to just get themselves over to the pole, they need to get themselves over to the bronze snakes, and they need to just look at the snake, and if they look at the snake, they will be healed. Now look at this, John chapter 3, verses 14, we see this verse used to refer to Jesus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Do you see the parallel here? Do you see this connection now, you may be tempted to think, well, Pastor Rick, you're making this way too simple. You're simplifying it. I don't know if, I don't think I am. So another thing to see is that to pray is to gaze upon Jesus. Think about it. To pray is to focus on him, to look at him, to know that it is he whom we need. Prayer is simple. We can live in constant prayer by constantly turning our focus to Jesus, our, our gaze to him. By which we acknowledge our dependence and our need of him. Our prayers are often focused on our circumstances. Our prayers are often focused on our situations. And surely there are times when we pray for this. We pray for God to rescue us from a circumstance. Or we pray for God to, to help in a, in a difficult situation. But I think it's important that our regular prayer should focus on experiencing the presence of Jesus. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't pray during a crisis. Of course not. We need to pray. We need to ask God. But what I want us to understand today is that when we pray in the midst of a crisis, let's also realize how important it is for us in that moment to encounter the fullness of Jesus. 
Let's not only pray that this situation change, but let's pray that we are changed in the midst of the situation. Let's pray that in the midst of the situation that we are asking God, and we're praying and asking Jesus to help us with, that we focus on him and we want to understand what is your meaning behind what is happening. Not only change the situation, but focusing on Jesus. What is it that you are wanting to do through this? What is it that you want to teach me? Focusing on what, what, what is Jesus up to in the midst of this crisis. Because what we will find is that he wants us to pray for the crisis. He wants us to ask us, him to rescue us from that. But very, very often he wants to do more than what we're praying for. Jesus wants to do more than what we're praying for. And if we are only asking him to save us from the situation, we may miss out on what he wants to do. Look at Mark chapter 2. Here we read that Jesus has returned to Capernaum, and he's hanging out at his house. And this crowd gathers, and they're crushing each other. And there's this, this crushing crowd, this large gathering of people. And these, these friends, they have this buddy that they're trying to get to Jesus. And so you know the story. They climb up on the roof in Mark chapter 2, verse 4. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now I want to ask you a question. Excuse me. I want to ask you a question. What would you say? How would you describe what these men did? You, you know the story. Most of you probably know the story. You've, you've heard the story before. What would you say these guys did? What was it that they were doing? And you would say, well, they're tearing apart a roof. But think again. Think about what we have said prayer is. What is it that these guys are doing? I want to suggest to us that we would not be faulted by answering that they prayed. This was their act of prayer. This was their way of praying. To get this man before Jesus. That is what prayer is. And what these men wanted, they just simply wanted Jesus to heal him. And what does Jesus do? Because they had such incredible desire to get this man before Jesus, Jesus saw the unrequested prayer, and he answered it as well. And the man's sins were forgiven. What makes prayer powerful is not our words. It's not our actions. What makes our prayers powerful is the presence of Jesus. And when we are in his presence, we will suddenly find ourselves asking, confessing, committing, and aligning ourselves with him in a way that we never would have if we were just speaking to him as if though he was in this distant place. So prayer needs to be more than just speaking to God. Prayer needs to be us inviting Jesus in. And allowing him to do what he wants to do in our midst. So I want to expose or I want to talk now about two important components that are needed to pray. Two important components that are needed. And, and I would suggest to us these have to be there in order for us to be able to pray. And what we mean now by prayer, and when you hear me say that now, what I mean is by inviting Jesus in. To have Jesus dwelling in us. So the first one is this, helplessness. Pray, or I should say prayer is dependent, or, or prayer is present in the soul before it has been formulated into words. Prayer is present in the soul before it has been formulated into words. 
Prayer is an attitude of the heart. It is an attitude of the mind. It is an attitude of the heart towards God. And the attitude which God can immediately recognize as prayer. It is an appeal to his heart. To help you understand what I mean by that, think about this. As parents, as friends, there are these moments, and I'll I'll use parents. As parents, there are these moments when your child will come into the room and they say nothing. They just walk into the room and they stand there. And immediately, as a parent, you recognize there's an attitude, there's something different. And you will ask what? What's the matter? You may have a friend and all of a sudden one day you're on your phone with your friend or you're hanging out with your friend or, or whatever it may be. And you're with your friend and they don't say anything but you immediately sense there's something different. It's an attitude of helplessness. It's an attitude of, I need support, I need help. God recognizes that helplessness in our attitude when we come to him. He immediately sees it as prayer. Helplessness is the surest indication of of a praying heart. Going back to Halsby, he says this, Prayer has been ordained only for the helpless. Prayer and helplessness are inseparable. Only those who are helpless can truly pray. Your helplessness is your best prayer. Think about that for a moment. Your helplessness is your best prayer. Like those friends who moved towards Jesus and do not give up until they have brought their need before Jesus. When we have a need and we bring it to Jesus, we should not see that as weakness. We should not see that as selfishness. We should see that as our greatest tool to come into the presence. Our helplessness is our best prayer. You cannot be arrogant. You cannot have this attitude that I don't need Christ and pray. We must be in a a state of helplessness. Your helplessness is the most powerful plea which God rises up, which rises up in God's heart. Helplessness is the real secret to prayer. I don't know how you feel about that, but I know for myself, this is not something that we really want to spend a lot of time on because if I would ask you this question, when's the last time you've actually felt absolutely helpless? I'm not talking here about when you didn't get what you wanted or, or you know, your, your exam didn't go as well as you wanted. You didn't get the raise that you wanted. I'm talking here, when's the last time you really felt absolutely helpless? See, here's the thing with North Americans. We do everything we can to remove ourselves from situations where we would feel helpless. We do all that we can to make sure that we never end up helpless. We'll take on extra jobs. We'll we'll do all kinds of things because we would never want to end up in a place where we are helpless. And if we do, we we won't admit it. We are conditioned to give ourselves, get ourselves out of every situation, to know all that there is to know, to be in control. We consider helplessness to be shameful, weak, and disgraceful. So we refuse to end up there. And then we say very often that we're struggling in our prayer life. See, there's something missing, folks. That when we're not willing to accept helplessness or to embrace helplessness or see ourselves as helpless, it's a barrier for us to pray. So what we need to do is we need to recognize that we are helpless. And in our helplessness, we come before God. Helplessness is an attitude which takes us to the next component, and that is faith. Faith is absolutely essential 
for prayer. There can be no prayer, no matter how great the helplessness, without faith. Helplessness united with faith produces prayer. Now, prayer is a touchy topic. I mean, sorry, faith is a touchy topic. And look at this verse in James chapter 1, because this is one that causes us some problems, because most often it makes us feel guilty. James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him come, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, but for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This verse and verses like these have driven many people to despair to the point where they feel that they cannot pray. We all struggle at times with faith. And when we read verses like this, we may assume that we don't have enough faith for God to answer. And so we struggle with whether or not we can pray. Do I know how to pray? Do I, does God even listen to my prayers based on my faith? Allow me really quickly to, to walk us through how most of our journeys of prayer have been. You find yourself in a difficult situation. You may find yourself in, in a crisis, in tragedy. And you feel absolutely helpless. And I'm not talking here about some minor things. I'm talking here about big issues that, that make you feel helpless. Maybe your child has walked away from the faith. Maybe your spouse has contacted you and informed you that they're leaving. Maybe your doctor gave you a really bad report. Maybe your company is closing. And you're helpless. So you find yourself in this helplessness and so you pray. You pray fervently, you pray frequently, you pray with passion, and you cry out to God. You beg God to change your situation, to have mercy, to hear you, to answer you. And then, nothing. Nothing. And so you're left wondering, well, what, what happened? Why, why is God not answering so you ask yourself these questions, and so you conclude within yourself, it must be that I didn't have enough faith. And so here you are in this moment of despair, but now there's also this guilt. If I had enough faith, then God would have answered. And so you may end up asking yourself this question, well, how, how much faith would this have needed? So how much faith do we need? How do we even measure faith? What is the measurement? What's the scale that we use to measure faith? And this is why I say it's a, it's a complicated topic. And so you find yourself in this place. Now you are absolutely in despair, but there's also this guilt, and you're wondering, what is it that God is wanting to do? So I want to say this to us today. What if you have more faith than you think? What if you have more faith than you think? To pray, and remember again what the definition of prayer is, to invite Jesus in. To pray is to have faith. You cannot invite Jesus in if you do not have faith. To invite Jesus into your heart in the midst of your helplessness can only, only be done by faith. 
not understanding God and not understanding his will for you. Can I say this to you? That is part of your helplessness. Not understanding God, we, we will never understand and we will never fully know why he doesn't answer here or why he answers differently than what we ask. That is part of our helplessness. That is part of our dependence on him. And so when we pray in the midst of that helplessness, that is an act of faith. The essence of faith is to come to Jesus. Helplessness becomes prayer in the moment that you go to Jesus and speak to him and express your need to him. John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This, ver this verse and, and, or these verses remind us of the simple and yet unmistakable mark of living faith. The simple step of inviting Jesus in into your pain, into your shame, into your guilt, into whatever circumstance you find yourself in. When you invite Jesus into that, it is an act of faith. It is an act of faith. There's a big difference between unbelief and doubt. Unbelief is an attribute of the will and consists in the refusal to believe. Doubt, on the other hand, is anguish. A pain, a weakness, which at times affects our faith. Look at Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 is this beautiful, beautiful, and yet powerful story that I think many of us today could relate to in some way. Jesus is on the mountain after the transfiguration. He's coming down the mountain, and he's taken three of his disciples with him, and the other other disciples are left behind. They're, they're waiting at the bottom of the mountain. And while Jesus was up on the mountain, we find out that this man came to his disciples and said, I want you to drive a demon out of my boy, out of my son. And it doesn't take long to hear the pain of this father. And he goes to the disciples and he says, I want you to drive the demon out of my son. And so now there's this quarreling back and forth when Jesus comes down the mountain. And so Jesus comes down and he sees this commotion, he sees the back and forth, and, and we don't really know who was angry with who or what was going on. It could have been the disciples arguing with each other and saying, why couldn't we do it? It could have been the man saying, you know, why can't you guys do it? But there's this, there's this tension, there's this frustration. And so this man, this helpless man with his son there, went to the disciples. They couldn't help. And now Jesus comes down and he's asking this guy, and he hears about what's going on, and we hear this tragedy of this boy who, who the demons would cause to do all kinds of horrible things. And you can hear the anguish and the heartbreak of this father. And as he's talking to Jesus, he makes this statement. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Doubt. Let me read it again. But if you can do anything. Jesus, if you can do anything at all, have compassion and help us. Can you hear the pain of that father? He's inviting Jesus in. If, if, Jesus, if, you, if there's anything you can do, I'm inviting you into my pain. The father isn't sure whether Jesus can. It's not unbelief. He's not saying, I, I don't think you can do it. The disciples couldn't, so we can't fault him for, you know, wondering and maybe questioning whether Jesus could because the disciples couldn't do it. 
But notice what Jesus does. Jesus immediately turns the conversation from doubt to belief. Look at Jesus' response in verse 22. If you can. It's like, what? If you can? All things are possible for one who believes. And look at this man's response. Immediately. That's Mark's language. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. This doesn't look like faith, does it? This doesn't look like faith. This father standing there before going, before Jesus going, if you can, would you? And then Jesus saying, you just have to believe. And the father's like, I believe, but help my unbelief. Does this look like faith? Does this not look like a lot of us in times of crisis? Where we're in this moment in our lives going, I don't know what God wants to do here. I don't even know if he wants to fix this. This doesn't look like faith. But faith was there. How do I know? Because Jesus healed the boy. Now what is the reason that such a weak unstable and doubting faith could be heard and answered. What is the reason for the fact that Jesus would answer a faith that seems so weak, a faith that seems so unstable, a faith that was doubting in its question? The answer is because it was characterized by the essence of living faith. It went to Jesus. This man's faith, this is so beautiful, this man's faith allowed him to tell Jesus just how much or how full of doubt his faith actually was. See, when we pray, even in our questions, even in our concerns, even in our uncertainty, when we pray, we are inviting Jesus in. And what a beautiful thing for us to, in that moment like this father, say, Jesus, I'm not even sure what you're going to do, but you are inviting Jesus in. This father's faith allowed him to tell Jesus just how full of doubt his faith was. So how much faith do you need to pray? I think this story illustrates that we have faith enough when we bring our needs to Jesus and leave them with him. We can begin, and maybe this is something that we need to start practicing we can begin by telling Jesus about our concerns, about our doubts, about our fears, about how weak our faith actually is. And this will make praying easier and allow us to pray with more confidence. It's like we've cleared the air. We have a big situation in our lives and we may want to start and say, Jesus, I know you can do all things, that's what I've been told, but this situation, I'm not sure what you're going to do here. And to just be so honest and so raw with him. And to tell him that I'm struggling to believe. So help my unbelief. Clear the air and then present your need before God. That is what prayer is. Inviting Jesus into our helplessness. We can begin this beautiful journey of praying in this way. So when we face hardships, when we feel helpless... We do not need to pretend that we believe, that we're confident in everything. We don't need to pretend that we don't have concerns or questions. We 
bring those to Jesus. And we allow him to assure us, to assist us, and to help us in those times where we have doubts. So our doubt does not need to keep us from praying. Instead, we start by expressing our emotions, our fears, our doubts, our helplessness to him. He is standing at the door and is knocking. He's knocking. He's wanting for you to let him in. We need only open the door and let him into our helplessness. Let's pray. God, I wish so much um, that you would help us in our journey as we strive to be a people of prayer. This whole COVID thing, I think, has brought a lot of us to a place where we've spoken to you more. We've talked to you more. We've said words to you more. We've, we've told you about what we want you to do. But God, I fear sometimes that our prayer hasn't really been inviting you in more. The sermon, I pray God, will open our eyes to see the importance of when we pray. That we would open ourselves up into our moment of helplessness, into our moment of frustration, into our fear, our anguish, our loneliness, that we would open our hearts to you. We would gaze on you, that you would be our focus, that we would know that you are knocking, not because of anything other than the fact that you want in, you want to be with us, you want to dwell with us. God, I pray that as we continue from this day on to pray that we would just open ourselves up in that way to you. Bringing our, our concerns to you, for sure. Bringing our burdens to you, for sure. But also with a heart that is asking, what will you do in me? I pray for those in our church right now who are hurting. And we pray together as a congregation in whichever living room we're in, whichever place we're in right now, we pray together as a congregation for those who have lost loved ones, for those who are in, in a time of crisis, we bring them to you. But in our prayer, we invite you. We invite you, Jesus, to do the work that you want to do in us. Thank you for what you would do in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.